Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 166. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Well, this week, our guest is Juan Vargas. I've known of Juan for quite some time now as he and I are both in Houston, Texas, and he is also the host of the Commit to Wealth podcast. Well, Juan is a father, husband, real estate investor, and full-time entrepreneur, and all around a great guy. Today, you're going to find Juan's journey from BMW mechanic to multifamily syndicator, a fascinating one. He's got tons of great advice for us, and he's just a really fun time to talk to. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today, welcome on the show, Mr. Juan Vargas. Juan, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jacob, it's, it's an honor to be on your show. I appreciate it, and let's make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, Juan, for the audience members out there that don't realize, you and I are actually both in the same market here down in Houston, Texas, and uh, it's been fun to uh, connect with you on this podcast, so excited to have you on. For the audience members that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of your story, and your journey into the world of real estate investing. So for me, I my background has nothing to do with real estate. Uh, you know, honestly, it's like a lot of people out there. For me, my background is actually in the automotive space, and so I was a technician, I guess mechanic for for those other guys that don't know. So I was a BMW technician, the car BMW, and I did that for 14 years. The reason why I got into that space was because growing up, my dad he actually had real estate. Well, that's another little story, but he actually had real estate growing up, and he always told me to work hard. You know, this is how men work. You know, you got to work hard with your hands, and you know those kind of things. So I learned to work hard with my hands. And I learned to, you know, I was welding at the age of 11 and building trailers at the age of 12 and doing all those kind of things. So that was my background. I grew up in the country and that's kind of what I did. And so my mom, she did not work. You know, my dad was the only one that worked and we had a big family. I have five siblings. And so for me, it was graduating high school. I decided to skip going to college and instead go to work. And the reason for that was because I wanted to help out my parents, you know, help out my parents and my, my siblings. And shortly after that, that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something with my life. I need to, you know, go to college or do something. And that's when the idea of going to a technical school was born. You know, I was like, you know what? I like cars. I'm good with my hands. Just make this happen. It's short. It is quick. And, you know, I'll be making money right away. So that was the BMW path that I took. After so many years of working there, uh, or during the years I was working there, I started realizing that, hey, I can't do this forever. You know, it's one of those jobs where you have a, a ceiling and it's a very low ceiling. My head was hit, hitting the ceiling like all the time. <laughs> There's no escape. So I uh, found myself working. It's supposed to be like a nine to five job. And I found myself working, you know, from leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning, 630 and getting home seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I have three boys. And so I wanted to find something else to be able to spend more time with them. And that's when the idea of real estate was born because I was looking for ways to create passive income. 
income. And real estate was the one natural thing that kept popping up everywhere. And I was like, you know what? Let me look into real estate. And so that's the idea. That's when that's when I was born. For me, my dad, he had real estate, you know, growing up and he still does. He has several homes and, you know, several little side businesses that he does. But growing up, I didn't like real estate, you know, and the reason for that was because my dad was doing everything himself. He was the owner. He was the landlord. He was the leasing agent. He was the handyman, everything, all the above. And so, you know, when I was with him, we always had to go out there to the houses and here we are spending all day, you know, doing this, <laughs> doing that, fixing this, fixing that. For me, it was a bad taste. It wasn't until I started to educate myself during my BMW years, I started to educate myself and such as a podcast like this one that we're on, you know, the good podcast and networking and reading books. And I started realizing that the way my dad was doing it, he was doing it wrong wrong in my opinion because you know he was spending time there he was doing it all and the beauty of real estate is that it's a team sport you can really use a bunch of people to their strengths and make it happen and so I found out that he was doing it wrong and I still haven't told him that but you know he was doing it wrong I decided to do it differently and create a team and use their strengths to our advantage. Yeah, sure. I love that. Well, first off, Juan, you're giving me a little bit of flashback talking about your dad forcing you into manual labor because I grew up <laughs> the exact same way, having to spend your nights and weekends and all the extra time working for or with your dad. So yeah, I totally get that right off the bat. So and I think another something to pull out just out of your intro really quickly there is you went to school. Well, first off, right out of high school, you got a job so you could start earning some income and you decided, mm-hmm. hey, I need to get a better education so that I can get a good job. And that's essentially what everyone is doing or should be doing when they go to college is going to school to get a good education so you can get a job. There's like an ROI that you should be evaluating when you're going to school, but not everybody exactly does that. You know, some of these people going into art history or Egyptian hieroglyphic underwater <laughs> basket weaving or whatever it is like, what are you yeah. going to do with that? Right. Yeah, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. You took a you know, more pragmatic approach, went to trade school and got a good job. But then you kind of realized there is a ceiling. There's only so far you can go with that. And there are some limits and you kind of don't have all this control like you wanted. So here you are, you decide, hey, I'm going to do something a little different, something I've got more control on, something that doesn't have a ceiling and something that will allow you the freedom to spend time with your family and be home at night. So you turned to real estate investing. And what did that look like from you from there? What was your very first real estate investment? What did it look like? How did you get into it? Just kind of walk us through that time in uh, your life. So I, at the age of 21, I bought my first, you know, house. It is a house to live in. It wasn't a, an investment property or anything like that. And that was good. And this was in 07. It was in 07. Uh, yeah. And I didn't know about real estate cycles and that they go up and down or anything like that. I just know that I wanted a house and I, and I bought it, you know, and I was excited because I was 21 years old and I had my first house. And luckily for us, my wife, she's a nurse. So she wanted to continue her education, but she was going to do it full time. So then we were like, hey, you know what? At this point, let's just, uh, we're not gonna be able to afford to live here and you go to school full time because we're both making income, you know? So that's how we were able to pay the house. So we ended up selling the house. We ended up selling the house and shortly after that, we, we moved into an apartment. Well, next thing you know, the market crashed. We sold the house. No, I'm sorry. We bought the house in 05 and we sold it in 07. So we sold it right before the market wow, crashed. Okay. So that happened. And, you know, that's when I started learning about, hey, there's crashes in real estate. So in 09, I, I bought my second house. And from there, I started looking into more properties. I started looking into more properties. But at this time, I wasn't educated. I was just, okay, let's just you know throw some darts out there and see what happens. For me, because, you know, the first couple of houses we had done it through conventional financing. And that's the same thing I was trying to do. I was trying to do that with houses, you know, investment properties. I was just trying to get, you know, bank and just submitting offers left and right. And I wasn't getting any of these offers accepted. That has a ceiling in itself, right? That has a ceiling in itself. And why? Why was that? It was 
because people that were educated that knew what they were doing, they were you know either paying cash or getting private lenders or getting hard money lenders or whatever. This is all single family here that we're talking about. And so it kept going like that. And you know, finally I was like, you know what, forget this. You know, it's just not meant for me, whatever. But shortly uh, after that, I, I had an offer accepted. And it was a property where I submitted an offer and I was like, you know, all these offers here that I've been making, and then finally I get one accepted, then there's gotta be something wrong with this house, man. You're not gonna fool me with this. I went to look at the house. I'm like, it has foundation issues. It has this, the walls, like the exterior wall is like cracking. I'm like, that's why, man, you know, I'm not going to be your sucker here. So I'm backed out of it. And at the end, I ended up uh, kind of going a few years after that without taking down a house or looking at that. I was like, okay, maybe it's not meant for me. I'm just going to continue working. I'm making a good living anyway. So why just keep trying to do this? You know, it's, not, it's unnecessary. And it wasn't until I started um, a few years later when I, when I had my kids and I was like, you know what? I really need to do something here. You know, I need to do something. And yeah, so my first house was a single family house and this was around uh, 2014 or so. It was good. And then shortly after that, you know, I took down a few of the houses and I did a couple of flips and it was uphill from there. Yeah, I love it. So you get your start by buying your very first house that you're going to live in. Somehow, luckily, time that market just right, sell right before the market crashes, and then buy your second house right after the market had crashed. So you're doing a couple things right off the bat there. Mm -hmm. And then, so you buy a few more houses, you're doing some flips, and you know, now you're like getting your feet wet in this whole investment kind of world. Are you doing this full time now, or are you still working for BMW and still buying the houses on the side? Yeah. So I was still working full time. I was doing this as a side thing because I wanted to get it to a certain income and feel good about, you know, where I'm at. So I had those first few houses and it was on my last house that I acquired where I was, it went well, you know, it was a good house. I had did some rehab and did some good stuff like that, but I was vacant. I was vacant for about a couple of months. And during that time I was like, man, you know, I don't like this, man. I'm paying for everything. I man. This, this sucks. Like I'm paying for my own mortgage in my house. And then I'm paying for a mortgage over here on this property. It's supposed to be an investment property, but I'm paying for, you know, the mortgage, you know, you know, insurance, taxes, electricity, whatever, all these things. I'm like, man, this is supposed yeah. to be helping me out. So the income that I have made, it's already wiped out. That was my thought process. I'm like, what's the point of this, man? What's the point of, you know, I mean, single family houses are good, you know, you scale up. But for me at that point, my thought process and my opinion was I just made all this money, cash flowing a couple hundred bucks a month on these properties. And then a couple months that I'm vacant, you know, it just wiped me out right there. That's when the idea of there's got to be something else better than this. And I was thinking, and, and that's when I started thinking about multifamily. Yeah. So uh, walk us through that point, you know, what you're thinking of and how how do you kind of transition to multifamily at that point? What did that look like for you? So at that point, when I was going through that process of being vacant on that house, I told my wife, you know what? Forget this. I'm doing apartments. I'm doing multifamily. And she kind of looked at me and she's like, okay, where'd you get that idea from? And, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing apartments and, and I'm not looking back. It was tough. You know, I'm not going to say it was easy. It's tough because it's a different investment platform, so to speak. It's different than single family. You know, it's obviously commercial, what I was looking at. And so I had to educate myself on that. You know, so there was podcasts. I listened to a bunch of different podcasts. It was a bunch of networking and, you know, it was a bunch of books that I was reading. And I found myself reaching out to brokers and trying to, you know, get that first property. The thing about it, and you know, I tell this to many people, is at the very beginning, it can be a little tough because you don't have the experience. So the brokers will be like, hey, so what have you done? What have you done in real estate? I'm like, yeah. I've done, you know, a couple of flips here and, you know, done some single family homes here. And, and they're like, no, no, but what about multifamily? What about commercial? I'm like, no, I haven't done that, but I've done single family. And for them, they didn't care. They just kind of look at you and then laugh. And they would still send me properties, but these were junk properties that everybody else was passing on. Even then I started to um, realize that, you know, these properties aren't making sense. I mean, you, again, you know, I'm like, you know, this doesn't make sense though. You know, like, so I had to find a different approach. If I wasn't going to make traction through brokers, then what was a, another option that I could do? So I, thought, I started thinking of different ways. And one of those ways that I did was do direct mail. And, you know, that's how I came across my first smaller property. And it was a 32 unit. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, at this point, like many people face this point, right? 
Mm-hmm. Right one is like when they're trying to buy this very first multifamily deal, they don't have enough cash to take it down themselves, which is pretty common, yeah. but they also don't have experience. So you've got no money, you've got no experience. I synonymate it to this conundrum when you're like 15, 16 years old, <laughs> yeah. your first vehicle, right? So, okay, we need a vehicle. Well, you've got to have a job to get that vehicle, but you need a vehicle to get to the job. You need money to earn from the job. So it's like this like conundrum. You need one of these three things. You don't have it's any- like the chicken or the egg, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, you know, you've got to get creative in what you're going to do from there, right? So what exactly were your creative ways of getting started? You kind of mentioned finding a deal. So, you know, finding it off market, was that your kind of creative entry into the world of multifamily or did you have some other angle you took? For me, that was the, I guess, creative angle because I wasn't making much traction with brokers. I was like, okay, well, let me think of something that not many people are doing. Most of the people out there are reaching out to brokers, which I believe is like probably the best way to get good deals. I mean, maybe not these days because they, they're priced way high, but that's going to be a, a solid way to get deals where the broker, I mean, the, the seller is legitimately trying to sell. That's why they have a listing. If you're doing like the recommend like I'm doing, I mean, you're pretty much throwing darts out there and you're not, they might respond to you. They may not, they might not be ready to sell or they may be ready to sell like two years from now. You just don't know. Whereas with brokers, they have a property where owner wants to sell. Like if you get get a good offer, I wanted to find something where not many people were doing. And like I said, that was direct mail. So I started to choose an area. Again, we're, we're in Houston. So I started to look for areas around Houston where I wanted to target by zip code. And so I just started sending them letters. The way I got the list was through like the county assessor's website. I just, you know, typed in some zip codes and then I just uh, made a note of all the, the properties and the size range that I wanted to target, which by the way, is was 50 units and below. And the reason why I say 50 units and below is because although there's opportunities out there for you to, to target and pick up a property through direct mail on larger properties, they're just few and far between. They're like way more rare because, you know, usually the larger properties are, they're more, more of a group purchase or more sophisticated buyers or whatever. So we were targeting more like mom and pop type owners and sellers. So that's why it's 50 units and below. But fast forward to that, you know, we, um, the owners contacted me and they um, were interested in selling and, you know, that's how things ended up happening. So now this is kind of like where the rubber meets the road, right? So you've yeah. done all this work, put in all this sweat equity and labor and day in and day out, trying to first educating yourself, all this education you did, and then doing your direct mail campaign. And then finally, somebody says, Hey, Juan, yeah, sure. We'll be glad to sell to you. And you're like, Oh, heck, now what? You know, the clock starts ticking, you get under mm-hmm. contract. And then what were your next steps? what did you do from there? I say like before I even had it under contract, it was a little difficult to line up the financing because it was my first real experience. And in addition to that, you know, it didn't qualify for HGT debt because it was under a million. The loan amount was under a million. And typically for anybody out there listening, they don't loan. I mean, the loan amount has to be a million or higher. You know, for you to get the greater financing through agency like Freddie Mac or, or Fannie Mae. And so I found it to be challenging. And so I, I went through several different banks until I got the green light from one of the banks. I got this property under contract, implemented a business plan, and it was a good little first property. It was good. And, and I've done more things from there. It was a good start. And on that first deal, did you raise money from investors? I did not raise money from investors. So this was a project where I was willing to do it on my own. You know, I had saved up some capital from working my days at BMW. And so this was a project that I was, you know, willing to do on my own. We ended up talking to my GC. He was the guy that had done a lot of the work on my single family side. He was like, hey man, you know, this deal sounds good, man. You know, can I get in the deal too? And then I was like, okay, well, we talked about it. And then we ran the numbers and it worked out for both of us. It was a reduced risk for me as well. So he ended up partnering with me on that deal. And it ended up working out well because he was also the guy that did a lot of 
the rehab on the property, just turning the units and getting that property turned around. So it ended up being a really good partnership. Yeah, you know, I was grateful for that. That's awesome. That's key right there is being able to find a partner that skills supplement yours, right? So you're the guy that is able to go out and build these systems and processes and find the deal and analyze them. And then you've got this partner who knows the construction side of the business and able to renovate and rehab these units for probably a much better price than you would if you just had to go on the street and find some general contractor. And he's got sweat equity in the game. So that's kind of his piece that he's bringing to the table. So yeah, it sounds like a really good partnership, especially for that first deal. Yeah, it was. It really was. And since then, you know, we, we've uh, looked at several other properties. We try to target some of the smaller ones, you know, with him. Although I focus on larger properties now, still look at the smaller ones because the smaller ones are still good and you can provide some good returns. So anybody out there says bigger is better. While I believe that that really is true, don't ignore the smaller ones either. If you come across a good opportunity on a smaller one and the numbers make sense, then go for it. Don't say, oh, it's too small. It's only a 20 unit. It's only a 30 unit. I mean, if the numbers make sense, I mean, the numbers don't lie and you're in it for the cash flow. So, you know, jump at it and, and also look at bigger ones. I mean, who cares? You know, look at both. And that's kind of what I do. I look at the smaller ones on the side, but you know, my main focus now is the larger ones. Yeah, sure. So you buy that very first 32 unit property with the partnership with your general contractor. And then from there, what was next? Yeah. So from there, I did, like I said, I had some capital. And so I connected with a bunch of other sponsors or syndicators, you know, and so I invested passively on, on a few deals, you know, 1100 doors is what I'm in, you know, passively as well. But um, apart from that, I am also a GP on a larger 265 unit that, you know, we closed on that deal in July. Right now, we, you know, we have a few offers out as well here in the Texas market and also in Memphis. You know, Memphis is a good market where you're going to have a lot of appreciation. It's more of a flat market, but if you have, I mean, again, you know, we're in this, our motto is to you know, be in it for cash flow and it's a good cash flow in market. I'm in a deal in that market as a passive investor and it's performing well. So that's another reason why I had confidence. And so, yeah, we, we uh, submitted some offers in that market as well. Yeah. Awesome. So talking about some of the lessons you've learned from maybe that very first deal, talking to someone who's maybe trying to buy their very first multifamily or is interested in multifamily, just not sure how about going to do that. What kind of advice would you have to that type of person? Maybe some of your own personal lessons learned from doing that very first deal. The first thing with anything out there is, you know, if you heard this a million times, but it's very important for you to educate yourself. I would say educate yourself as much as you can, but you don't have to know everything. And I think that there's a lot of folks out there. And if you're one of them, then, you know, it's okay. You know, it's okay to get a little red, but you have to know everything. You have to know everything before you pull a trigger. If you remember my example with the house, I was like, okay, you know, there's foundation issues. That's why you're trying to get me and you're not going to get me, you know, at the end, yes. you know, that house was a house I could acquire for 70 grand and now they're selling for 160, 170. And so it was my fault for not uh, pulling the trigger. So I would say for anybody out there that's looking at, at different properties, do what you can and educate yourself. Find people that are already doing what you want to do. Follow their path. Maybe bring them a deal. Again, you know, you hear this a million times, but bring value to somebody else that's pretty much doing what you want to do. If it's somebody that's doing, you know, single family, that's maybe not the person that you want to bring a deal to. Find somebody that's doing what you want to do and bring a deal. Find value that, that you can add to them. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, like I said, taking action. Educate yourself and taking action. That's what it's about. You know, if you don't take action, then nothing's going to happen. No matter what you do, you can put all the information in, in your head and your brain as, as you want, but it's not going to do, it's not gonna, you're going to have nothing to show for it if you don't pull the trigger. Fear is something that, you know, people, it holds people back a lot of times, you know, and so you've got to punch fear in the face. I love it. Yeah, that's transition as well into something I also wanted to ask you about. And that's kind of the mindset piece of this whole thing, right? It takes a special mindset to go in and acquire a big property like this. So talk about maybe your mindset and then maybe some mindset tips you've got for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. So for me, you know, it's just about making educated decisions. With everything, there's risk. But I think that there's more risk if you don't do anything at all. 
if you just sit there and you expect that, you know, something to change and things to change on their own, then that's way riskier. And you're going to wake up 10 to 15 years from now and you're going to be in the same situation and you're going to wish you had taken action. For me, non-action is more risky than, you know, taking action. What's the worst that can happen? Okay. If worst that can happen, I think that, you know, you'll lose money. Okay. And, and everybody, I mean, works hard for their, for their money. It's harder earned money, but at the same time, it's just money. They're not coming for a head. They're not coming for your kids. If, as long as you're still breathing, you have a heartbeat and your kids are still with you, your family's still with you. I mean, that's, you live another day. So I think people need, need to kind of, you know, get through that fact that money is important and money is hard to come by sometimes. And sometimes people work, you know, their whole lives, you know, just saving money. But again, you're not going to take that money with you when you die. So just the only way money's going to grow is if you put it to work. It's not going to grow if, if you have it sit there and you just keep it in your back pocket. You know, you got to risk it. I would say that to everybody, you know, as a mindset thing is be willing to risk. And, you know, that's when the rewards, you know, are achieved. Yeah. And I love to say that the best hedge against risk is education. So two really big pieces you're talking about here. In order to decrease that risk, educate yourself a little bit, kind of understand some of the basics, protect your downside. And then from there, like you said, you know, just uh, overcome that fear, punch fear in the face, as you mentioned, and yeah, just get after it. So definitely love that. Exactly. Yeah. So what's the future hold for Juan Vargas? What are your goals? What are your plans? What are your reasons? Why? I guess my why is, well, I think it's similar to everybody's or a lot of people out there is, is my family. I have my family and I would like to do things for church. You know, I'm a part of a church and we, um, we volunteer every single Sunday. And so they do a lot of projects, you know, not only here locally, but throughout the uh, the world. And so I, I like to be a, a part of that and be one of the biggest, you know, um, guys that donates to, to the, those causes that will give me a sense of pride, but also, you know, be hands-on and help out children around the world and people around the world. From a business perspective, future goals, you have to have big goals or if you have really big goals and you at least, you know, Get halfway, then you made you're successful. And so for me, is um, personally, I would like to get to a certain point where you know, we we control over a billion dollars worth of uh, multifamily assets, ten thousand units within fifteen years. You know, that's kind of kind of the goal. That's a big goal, and I would like to hopefully you know also have my own um, you know in house you know, property management company to kind of oversee the projects. And, and so you know, just you know something like a vertically integra- integrated uh, company where you know just you have a you know, create a bigger firm. You know, that's kind of kind of what, what I'm thinking about, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, it sounds like you're on track to achieve all those billion dollars acquisitions under management or assets under management that is in 15 years lofty goal but like you said hey if you fall a little bit short and you land at 750 million dollars of assets then i think you'll still be all right i I think it'll still be all right yeah i think you're you're okay yeah so down in the record books is a success so yeah definitely love that one hey it's been a lot of fun as we're wrapping up here we always wrap up with a lightning round it's just a series of questions we ask every one of our guests are you up for it I'm down. Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, the very first question in the lightning round is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Yeah. And I think we kind of, you know, covered this a little bit, but you know, my biggest uh, hurdle, as I talked about, it was, was fear, fear of the unknown and fear that you're going to lose and fear that things are going to not go right. But the best way to overcome that man is by taking action. You're going to realize that fear, it keeps you back from so many different things. And once you take action, you're like, man, that wasn't even that bad. I don't know why, what the big deal was about. So just make it happen. Just go straight forward. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah. I love it. Juan, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? What I like to do with pretty much every day, what, what I like to do is read, keep my mind fresh on, you know, different books and things like that. But we jump on weekly and bi-weekly calls with a group of people. And I think that's something that, you know, people out there should be doing. Just you get with people that are at your level. You know, if you're starting out, then get with other people that are starting out as well. And, you know, just interchange, you know, and, and jump on those calls and, and find out how you can help each other and hold each other accountable and write down some things and exchange ideas and progress and do those kind of things, you know. So I would say that for anybody to have some kind of little, little like mastermind call, 
calls. It doesn't have to be anything formal. Just, you know, do those and make sure you're consistent with them. And you'll see, you'll look back and you'll be like, man, we grew as a group. We grew so much because look at what we're talking about then. And now look what we're doing. I think that's something that, you know, people can do and it doesn't cost you anything. It just takes a little time and, you know, it's time well worth it. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Awesome. I I really like that. So, well, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day to day? Um, yeah, so there's a platform that I use and I just started using it. So I'm not going to you know, be telling you that I'm an expert at this platform, but it's called Slack. It's a really good platform because, you know, you get to interchange, you know, information as a group is more private. And so it's just a way to stay engaged with whatever project that you're working on or whatever project that you're doing. And so we started using that and, and it's working out great. Another thing I would tell for folks out there is to join Facebook groups that do or that are related in the, in the specific chapter that you want to do. So if you want to do multifamily, then join a multifamily group online on Facebook or wherever. Or if you want to do single family houses and do that or whatever it is you want to do. I think it's a good, another good way to stay engaged with folks and to pick each other's brains. I think that's uh, really valuable. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we'll link uh, Slack in the show notes for audience members to check out if they want. It's essentially just a communication tool where you can uh, create groups and share work and you know share documents and messages. So yeah, really cool resource there. And of course, Facebook groups also very invaluable. So definitely to consider those. Well, Juan, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I will actually give you a few different books. I'll give you three. The first one for me, we have all heard of Robert Kiyosaki. So, you know, I'm sure everybody or most of your audience has heard of, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad. But I personally like, although I like that book a lot, I personally like uh, the cash flow quadrant because it kind of lays out which quadrants you you should uh, strive to be in. And that's one of my favorite, I guess, foundational books. And so it's, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend that you read that book. It'll be eye-opening. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad was an eye-opening book, but this one, it's a little bit more geared towards like the business side, you know, which side you should be on, you know, as far as taxes and all the good stuff you know is concerned so that's one of the books that i would recommend a couple others is uh, one is the slight edge and you know if you haven't read that one i really like that one because it's something where i guess the theme of the book is to do something every single day to get to a certain point so you're going to make progress that that is not noticeable every single day you're going to be doing things and it's not really going to be noticeable but after you've been doing it for you know two or three to four months then you're like oh wow that's when everything kind of piles up and then you see the progress you know just take off so it's just making those little bitty changes every single day to get to a certain point and so read that book, man. It, it really is engaging. It's not one of those dull, boring books. I think it's really engaging and you'll definitely pick up some things from that book. So that's the slight edge. I don't remember the author. The third one is Extreme Ownership. And this is a, a powerful book and this is a couple of, uh, the authors are, are ex-Navy SEALs. So they have stories in there from their Marine days overseas. But then what I like about it is that they apply those principles to the business. And the theme of the book, I guess, is you know to hold yourself accountable. Don't blame others for, for your actions or for your lack of actions. Hold yourself accountable in everything that you do and everything you do in business and in life and, and whatever push yourself that's a really engaging book as well it's called extreme ownership so yeah i'll give you more than one so i'm sorry it took a little bit longer but yeah those are no, some i like those books. All, all really good recommendations well i've not personally read the slide edge but i'll have to pick it up so first cash flow quadrant by robert kiyosaki another one of those great foundational books talks about you know which quadrant well they, i won't spoil it for the people who haven't read it but uh definitely pick that up you got the slide edge and then extreme ownership by jocko Willink and Leif Babin, I believe those are the authors. Yes, those are the authors. Man. And I follow those guys on uh, on Instagram and uh, I don't know if LinkedIn or whichever platform it was. Just because, you know, they're one of those guys, man. Uh, you know, I just, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for, yeah, exactly. I have a lot of respect for those guys. For anybody out there that, that's joined the, the service, you know, whichever branch you're in, man, I have a lot of respect for you. You have definitely sacrificed a lot, both in time, family, you know, um, whatever, physically. So, yeah. So, it's, uh, I definitely support those guys. 
Yeah, definitely so. Well, Juan, last question in the lightning round. If you were to give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started in real estate investing, what would that be? Yeah, so this is a, a, a quote from Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know how it goes exactly, but it's a quote that goes, uh, work to learn, not to earn. And well, he talks about this for folks out there, let's say if I was 20, I would definitely do that. Knowing what I don't know now, I would definitely go back and when I was 20 and just provide value for somebody else for free. Who cares? You know, I'll do whatever I can. You know, I'll mow your lawn. I'll take out your trash, whatever it is I have to do just to be around you, be around your network, um, just learn from you. So I would say that quote, take it seriously. If, if you are 20 years old right now, 25, you know, you're still young, even 30, you know, who cares? You know, work to learn, not to earn. And then you, you'll earn, you'll definitely earn You know, once you get that knowledge, you want that knowledge. Yeah, definitely. So, well, Juan, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on the podcast. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad we got to connect. You've got a really interesting story and I think very valuable information you've shared with the audience members, especially to those people who are just kind of getting started. You're just a few steps ahead of them. So I think you're a really relatable kind of case study and guy to look up to. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Now you actually also host a real estate investing podcast. So tell us a little bit about that, what people can expect from it and where they can find more about you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's um, the podcast is called Commit to Wealth. Wealth. Um, sometimes I don't, I guess, say it right because people are like, what? Well, what? What is that? Wealth. W e a l t h. <laughs> so yeah, I have to spell it out sometimes because they're like, what? What do you say? So, anyways, it's basically it's, it's something similar to what you do. We focus on commercial real estate, and we focus on you know specifically a little bit more on uh, multifamily. And so it's it's a good way to you know for others to engage and you know to learn as well. And the reason why I called. It, that is because wealth to me is family, friends, your religious beliefs, time, and money. You no know, money is part of it, but that's wealth to me. So you have to commit to it to be able to attain it. You know, so but yeah, you, you know, people can reach out to me through that platform at Juan at commit to wealth.com or even at Juan at Gen Wealth Capital.com. Awesome. So they can find that podcast, Commit to Wealth, anywhere you can find podcasts, where you're listening to this one or wherever you love to listen to podcasts at. And then you've got commit to wealth.com as well. So yeah. And then they can reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, one of those uh, platforms and Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm the Juan Vargas. So that's my profile ID only because Juan Vargas was already taken. So I had to be the, <laughs> so yeah, you know, um, I'm happy to connect with anybody out there. So. All right. Yeah. Well, Hey Juan, thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show. Look forward to talking with you in the future again. Yeah. And I appreciate you having me on and thank you so much. And I wish you um, a lot of success in what you do. Thanks so much, Juan. Take care. Yes, sir. Thanks. up this week's episode with our guest Juan Vargas. If you'd like to connect with Juan or check out any of the resources we mentioned in the show, you can find those in the show notes or at the website at www.jacobayers.com forward slash 166. For more information, resources, and to connect with me, visit the website at www.jacobayers.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.